Good morning. How are you this morning? All like 25 of you that are not sick and dying with this thing that's going around, right? Proverbs chapter 3 is where we're going to begin. And I just learned this morning from my tech audio video crew that every week somehow I clap in the beginning of service. And so I did not want to disappoint you guys. And that seems to be the marker for them to pay attention or do something. So Proverbs 3, I already clapped. Clearly that means we can get started. So last week we were talking about, just as Pastor Matt said, that God is a good God, that he is a father to us, that we are sons and daughters of God. And the reason that that tied into Proverbs is that Proverbs is authored by a man named Solomon, a king who was profoundly wise, a gift given to him by God. He also was king over the largest country, the most prolific country on the planet at the time. He was incredibly wealthy, maybe wealthier than anyone else, and he sits down at some point in his life to collect these proverbs or sayings or truisms, and he wants to hand them off to us, but really his intended hearer is his son, that he would sit down and say, listen, son, because I love you, I want you to know this, and so we tie that into just a God, that God is a good and loving father. And that he desires to give us wisdom, that not just give us a faith or give us an eternity, but give us a way to live today. So as a starting point, this is again in the app. If you have that, if you're a note taker, today's main idea is this, is that as sons and daughters of God, we are given his wisdom and his desires that we are wise in our hearts and include him in our planning for the year. And so as sons and daughters of God, God's desire is to make us wise, that he would give us wisdom, meaning practical advice, practical living for today. We'll call that just practical theology, that it is rooted and begins in our hearts, like that as the gospel saturates our hearts, it transforms how we live, and in that, God would have this to cause us to live wisely. And so that's kind of where we're going to start. We're going to work through Proverbs 3, and then I'll just give you a little heads up. If you have a paper Bible, you might want to note where Proverbs 16 is. We'll flip over in just a minute. If you're using an app, you'll scroll. You'll figure it out. But Proverbs 3 and Proverbs 16 is where we're going to land today. I'm going to pray for us once again. We'll open up the Bible, and we will get to it. Jesus, as we come this morning, I ask that you would fill me with your spirit, that you would fill us with your spirit, that Jesus, I would fade somewhere into the background and that you would come, you would speak. Jesus, you're alive. You're the King of kings, Lord of lords. Lord. Jesus, you are the senior pastor of this church. And that we're just here, Lord, as your body, as your hearers. That we would all listen, that we would open our hearts and in humility lay down wherever it is that we don't align with you. It doesn't matter how we came in, whether we came in here uh, believing in you for decades and decades, or if, if we're here just checking it out, thinking, I don't, I don't even know who Jesus is. Jesus, would you speak to all of us? Again, may I fade in the background. Will you speak to us? Your words give us life, and we need life. And so we pray these things in your name. Amen. Proverbs chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 1, and he begins with, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. And so again, here is the tone of this book, my son. That's where Solomon begins. It's out of love, not judgment. It's out of guidance, not prescription or rule. 
It's out of his heart to love his son, and in that same way, God loving us as sons and daughters, that that is the tone for this. That there are some hard statements in Proverbs, but they come from a place of love and guidance and desire from a loving father. And so starting in verse 1, he says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. So of length of days, right? Length of life. He says length of days and years and life and peace, they will add to you. So here's what he says. As, as, a, as a father to a son in love, I want to tell you, do not forget my teaching. It's like, I want you to hold on to this. I want you to remember this. I want to, I want to give you this. And that length of years, that, that life, that peace, they flow out of remembering what I have taught you. As we look at this, I just want to talk about the truth of wisdom. And I, and I want to kind of recap something we said last week. And so can I have that next note, please? So the truth of wisdom or wisdom for planning, I think it's the one before that. So let me read it to you from here. What we call Proverbs is a truism. So Proverbs aren't promises. If you do this, God promises this. But they're truisms. When this happens, this is the truth. This is the outcome of it. That doesn't mean that tragedy can't strike or other things can't happen. And so we call Proverbs truisms. So I said the truth of wisdom or a truism is that a long and peaceful life is the result of placing God first in our lives. Length of days and peace come from our hearts keeping God's commandments. He is saying that, listen, a long life, a pleasurable life, a peaceful life, and really true Life comes from the starting point of having God right, first and foremost, in our hearts. That our hearts are given over first to God, not to marriage, not to family, not to vocation, not to income, not to wealth, not even to planning and wisdom. But that when our hearts are given to God first, life flows out of that. So he goes on, verse 3, he says, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So again, now here's what he's saying. I, I want you to remember these things. So again, my son, remember my teachings. I want you to know these things. From this, life flows. And he says, I want you to hang them around your neck. I want you to write on the tablets of your heart. And so he's encouraging that we would write down, that we would memorize, that we would know. It's like that we would wear it with us at all times. And so again, as, as many of us are setting off, 2018, we're beginning to plan. Maybe there are financial goals. You know, as we just talked about last week, so my wife and I are buying a house. We should close escrow Wednesday or Thursday, right? And so we are in this place of, okay, there's a lot to do about this. And this, this causes, this is a long-term commitment, right? Buying anything in Southern California is a long-term and expensive commitment. And I can't believe that we're jumping up and down and cheering about being a half million dollars in debt, right? I mean, like, that's weird, right? So, but this causes planning. Like, you just can't not think about finances and make sure you pay off your house. You just can't do this by accident. And so what God is saying is, listen, I'm going to give you this truth. I'm going to give you this wisdom. I want you to remember this. I want you to write this down. I want you to plan. I want you to memorize or remember this. And so as we look at planning, it's kind of a topic today. God in planning. I just wanted to start with 
writing things down. So Solomon says, write them on the tablet of your heart. Two challenges for us are to set written plans or goals and then to memorize God's wisdom that apply to them. So whatever your goals might be, maybe this is the year that you're going to lose some weight or gain some weight or get healthy or change your diet. Maybe this is the year like, okay, just like Pastor Matt was talking about with financial peace, like you're going to be debt free. Like you're going to live in such a way where you don't owe money on credit cards or to anyone else that you're going to live in a different way. Maybe this is the year that you're going to buy a home and, and you're going to look at the investments for the rest of your life and retirement and those things. And God would say, okay, then I want you to write down what your goal is. I want you to write down your plan. And then as Solomon would encourage us, then memorize the things that apply to it. So if this is the year you're going to be out of debt, maybe you begin to memorize some of the truth in the Bible about that the slave, that the borrower is slave to the lender right? That you would memorize and own some of the things that will remind you when you're confronted with that, like, I want that next newest iPhone, right? Just guilty, right? Always. But that costs this much, but no, the, sla- the, the borrower is slave to the lender. Like, I, unless I can afford it, I don't want to do that. And so here's where Solomon is starting out. He says, listen, I know you're planning, or for those of you that are planning, As you plan, would you write down your plan? And then he said, would you memorize, would you bind them, memorize them, write them in your heart that you would know God's wisdom that will help you to accomplish your plan? Verse 4, it says, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and of man. So the practical implication of the gospel, of getting God right first, right, getting your heart right with God first, the implication is a long life. The implication is life, is peace. The implication is that you can make decisions through wisdom, decisions through the lens of the gospel. And then then what Solomon says is, listen, and then not only will you have favor with God, but with humanity as well. Like, it'll go well with you. When you're a good and honest person, when you're someone who doesn't have to have the next newest thing, or when you're someone who is wise and is cautious, the world around you seems to treat you differently than if you're the one who's in such a hurry to get somewhere or has to have the next thing. Like a lot of times that causes the friction or the pain that we have in our lives. And so what they're saying is, listen, when you, when you get this right first and you live according to that, not only do you find favor with God, but you find favor with humanity. Verse 5 says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. I know this is one of those that many people have sought to memorize, right? That we would trust in the Lord, that we would acknowledge him, right? That we would place him in our life first. The gospel is that, really. I mean, as we look through the gospel, just think through this. So, so God created us and loves us. So God created humanity, designed you, made you, knows how you work, designed you to live in such a way that if you live outside of that, you're broken. And that way, that, that way is to be a worshiper of God, that you were created to be a worshiper of God. And again, I said this last week, like that doesn't just mean when we sing songs of worship, which is great but that your lives are designed and created to glorify God in everything that you do. And that when you do that, that you are living in the way you were created to live. What we all know is humanity, we've all not only inherited 
this broken, do your own thing, follow your own way, figure it out. We've not only inherited that, years and decades and millennia of sin, but then we've, we've entered into human history and we've added to that. And so as we have said, okay, God, we're not going to worship you. In fact, what we're going to do is worship ourselves or worship something else in your place. And so that schism in humanity and God, that separation between sin and God, continues to divide us from God. God says, I'm a loving father. Like, I know how you were created to be, and I know you've chosen to go your own way, but still, I love you. And so God, through Jesus, enters into human history. God becomes flesh. Jesus enters our lives, enters into human history. And Jesus lives the life we were designed to live. He dies the death that we deserve. He dies it in our place, and he he bridges that gap between God and humanity. I just love the image, I mean, just, or what the image says to us. I see Jesus hanging on the cross, outstretched literally between heaven and earth, literally, physically, visibly between God and humanity, that bridge into humanity, that mediator between a holy God and a sinful humanity. And as Jesus covers our sin and dies and raises from the grave to give us new life, He invites us into that place where we can again begin to live the way God created us to live. And so wisdom isn't just doing right things or being moral. In fact, that's moralism. But what the gospel is, is putting God first and living the way God calls us to live, the way God designed us to live. And the outpouring of that is a life that is satisfying, a life that is fulfilling. And again, we still live in that broken humanity. We still live in a broken world. That doesn't mean nothing will go wrong. That doesn't mean we won't find ourselves ill or lose a loved one or lose a job. It doesn't mean that tragedy won't happen, but it just means that we will live the way that God created us to live, and even when those things take place, we will have a foundation that we can live on, that we can press through and know that God is still good and that we live a broken world, but that Jesus is redeeming not only us, but this world too. And that the gospel is to trust in God first. Not trust in my own self or trust in the world or whatever new book says this or whatever. And so at the root of all wisdom is the gospel. And at the root of that is that God created us, loves us, designed us, and knows how we best live. And so all that flows out of that is God saying, no, this is how you honor me. This is how you honor me in your physical health. This is how you honor me in your relationships, your relationship with your spouses or your parents or your children, your neighbors, your coworkers, the people you go to school with. This is how you honor me in your life. This is how you honor me in your planning or your finances. This is how you live in the way I created you to live. And when you live outside of that, not only is that sin, tends to be idolatry, but it also is just not how you were created to be which drives you into places you weren't supposed to be, results in pain and suffering in life. Verse 70 says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Don't be wise in your own eyes. And I know I've said this repeatedly over the last year or so, but really, when we, when we look at things and we know God created us and we know that God designed us and knows how we best live, really what sin is to look at God and say, I know you created me. I know you love me. I know you're smarter than me. But at this moment, I think you're wrong and I'm right. So I'm going to go my way. 
Now, I've never said those words to God, but I've lived that way. I've made those decisions like, well, I know what God says, but I'm going to go over here. I've never said those. I would never be audacious enough to stand before God and go, listen, I don't think you're right. I think I'm right. It's the second part that really scares me, right? But really, when we go in a way that God didn't create us to be, that's what we're doing. So he says, don't be wise in your own eyes. Like, don't think you're smarter than God or that you know, well, God said this, but I don't think this will hurt anything. And he says this, and turn away from evil. See, that piece of the gospel that is repentance is that laying down of those places where we have walked away from God and saying, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give those back to you, God. I'm going to turn from those things. I'm going to turn to you instead of my way. Or I'm going to turn to you instead of this addiction. Or I'm going to turn to you instead of wherever else I've been. See, repentance is such a piece of the gospel that we were always laying down things. And it's not like we ever get to a place where we're so good at this, there's nothing left to repent of. And so we're constantly coming before God and saying, okay, I found myself in my heart far from you here. And so I'm going to lay this down. And Jesus, I'm going to turn to you. And I'm going to run to you. I'm not going to run to these other things. And that is so foundational, both in the gospel and then, of course, because of that, in wisdom. That wisdom says, listen, there's something that you've been doing, maybe in 2017 or 16 or before, that you want to be different in 2018. Well, you can't keep doing the same things and expecting that 18 is going to be better. You have to turn from these things and you have to go this way. I would ask you the question, if you're a goal setter, if you write down plans for the year, if you're one who is working through or has already worked through 2018 and what you want to see happen in your life, have you sat down and I would ask you this, have you included God in your planning? And if you've included God in your planning, have you included repentance in your planning? Have you included that there are things that I must stop doing before this will, my goal, my hope, my achievement, my dream, before this will ever happen, this has to go. And then the gospel that we can just come and lay that down. Just give that to Jesus and say, you know what? I know you died for this. I know that you have forgiven this, that you cover this. And I know that in raising from the grave that you give me new life. And I know that ascending back to your throne where you deserve to be all along, but you entered into our story because you love us, that when you did that, when you returned back to your throne, you placed your spirit in us so that we could overcome this, so we could live out that new life that you give to us. Have you sat in your planning and said, these things, this, I'm going to leave this. Yes, it's really awkward. I know, a ball just rolled down. The, I saw it, you saw it, you're laughing, I get it. There it is, whoever's ball, you can come get your ball. All right, right there at that moment of repentance, there goes a little ball. Like, okay, lost train. All right. Verse 9, I figured we could acknowledge it or we could all awkwardly act like we didn't see it. So there you go. Now the person who owns the ball is going to leave it behind today because they're ashamed. We shamed you from the stage. That's nice. Okay, good. Verse 9. All right. Honor the Lord with your wealth 
and with the first fruits of all your produce. And then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now we're going to spend two weeks. I told everybody this last week. We're going to spend two weeks on finances. We're going to deal with the heart in finances and then super practical things in finances. There's so much that Proverbs says we could spend months unpacking all the things that Proverbs says about finances. And so we're going to aim at two things, the heart of finances and then the practice of finances. What's more important? Your heart. So we're going to do that first. We're going to catch like, where does this land in your heart? Is this right? Is this wrong? And then we're going to look at the practical implications. That's why we're kind of getting that up and running simultaneous to financial peace, as that is a nine-week deep dive into your finances from a Christian biblical principle. Much of what we'll cover over the next two weeks, the stuff that Dave Ramsey and, and the leadership there and the videos that they do, and then our leaders, Christine and, Ju- and Junior, that they'll work through. But as he talks about this here, we have to look at least at the counterintuitive nature sometimes of wisdom. Because here's what it says. Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of your produce and the barns will be filled with plenty. So here's what he's really saying. When he says honor the Lord with the first fruits, he's saying whatever you get, give to God first and figure out how to live on the rest. But he didn't say figure out how to live on the rest. He says, and then your barns will be filled with plenty. Sometimes Wisdom is just counterintuitive to our nature because when we look at all that we have and we look at it and we're like, okay, I'm not sure I have enough to do everything I have to do when I have 100% of it. How is it I can give any to God, support our church, give to church planting, do the things that God has called us to? How can I live on less? And yet here's what he says. Trust God with your first fruits, not what's left over, Start there, and your barns will be full. One of the few, one of the only, okay, let me start that sentence over so it makes sense in English. The only place in the Bible that it says you can test God, lots of places it says don't, is in your finances. Malachi tells us to test him in this and see if he doesn't pour out abundance on those who honor them and their finances. And so again, sometimes it's going to be counterintuitive, but we have to look at it. Say, okay, there's God who designed us, who's smarter than us, and then there's me. Which way am I going to go? And really, wisdom points us in that direction. Verse 11, it says this. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be wary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves. As a father, the son, in whom he Delight. You guys can flip over to Proverbs 16 if you would. But it says not to despise the correction of God. When we hear discipline, we hear pain often. And sometimes discipline is what we do. When we, when we are training our children to be good students, you do your homework before you go out and play. Uh, I'm, I'm a martial arts guy, so there's, there's a discipline. You train yourself in this way. You discipline yourself. That Even martial arts are called different disciplines, right? Ground games, other things. They're disciplines, right? It isn't all about pain. It isn't all about penalty or punitive. It is discipline. It is training. It is correction. But even when it is correction, even when it feels punitive, what he's saying is, is listen, when God disciplines you, understands because he loves you. And clearly you haven't heard it when it didn't cause pain. So take this, take that penalty, take that correction, take that reproof, and know it's from a loving God. Know it's from a God who says, I love you enough to discipline you, to get you over to here. 
You guys all know this verse, but Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord's plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. God's desires for you are good. God's plans for you, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, are better than your plans for you. I don't think I'm that far out on a limb, by the way. But God's plans for you are better than you could ever imagine. Proverbs 16 picks this up. It says this, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of a tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. If, if God were to look at your plans for 2018 and say, you know what, let's toss those. Can we start all over? Would you let him? Like, would you be willing to go, okay, I know we all say yes, but then we're like, well, yeah, but he wouldn't change that, right? Like if God says, hey, listen, man, your best intentions over here, your best thing, you and your best, closest, most godly friends came up with this, but I don't want to do that. I want you to do this. Here's why. He says all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Really, there's two things. What makes sense to us isn't always where God would take us. And the other thing is, sometimes what makes sense to us doesn't factor in where our heart is. That our heart can be in a totally different place than where God wants our heart to be. And again, sometimes this just comes out in the most godly-sounding or wise-sounding planning because what we come up with sounds good to us. But God knows our heart. God knows our spirit. God knows God knows what's in front of us. God alone knows our future. God alone knows what we will encounter. And so the challenge is, will we just, can we just lay it all down? Say, okay, God, now, what do I pick back up? And what can stay the same? What has to change? What do I need to leave behind? The outcome of, uh, sorry, wrong one. Commit, verse three, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. So when he says work, effort as well as work, if you will, he says commit your work to the Lord, meaning commit your effort, commit your vocation, and your plans will be established. Now the slide, please. That was my fault. Outcome of aiming at faith. If we commit our effort to the Lord first, our other plans also will also be established. The Lord first, our other plans will also be established. When we give our effort, our work, our vocation, our life to God first, then he establishes the rest of the plan. Our job is to put our best foot forward, if you will. And again, I don't want you to hear this moralistic, try harder, just kind of white knuckle it until you get it right. I want you to hear our best foot forward is in surrendering to God. That our greatest effort is in laying everything down. Instead of thinking we're right, laying everything down before God and said, listen, God, it doesn't matter as long as I have you right. As long as I get Jesus right, everything else follows. Verse 4, it says, the Lord has made everything for his purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Last week, we talked about the audience for Proverbs, like who is Solomon writing to? And we know that he's writing to his son, but he uses these four people, these four types of people as an audience. And what it does is it gives us a place to kind of weigh in and figure out where we are. Let me read you the verse we read last week. It's from Proverbs 1. It says this. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, 
Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. So what we did is we talked about the simple, the young, the wise, and then, of course, Proverbs speaks to the fool. So the, the young, obviously, we have different expectations of if you're here and you're 13 years old, we have different expectations for you than we might have for your parents. Because you're young and maybe you just haven't had a chance to learn yet. And so wisdom comes with time, comes with maturity. And then the simple is those who have just been unlearned in maybe an area. Use the example last week, I'm just unlearned when it comes to sciences. Not my thing. I know there are those of you that are. Those are things I just have a simple understanding of. Then there's the wise and then the foolish. And the, the wise are those who have learned the lessons of life, who have pressed into God, who God has transformed, and they live in a way where they've applied what they've learned to life. The fool is the one who has been taught and doesn't listen. So to be young is not to discredit someone. They're young. They are still to grow. The desire of all parents is to raise their children, that they would become wise, mature, and good adults, that they would follow Jesus, love Jesus, or at least I hope that is our goal for our kids. There's the simple. We will all be simple in different areas. Maybe finances is not your area. Maybe real estate is not your area. Maybe education is not your area. Those are places where you're simple in and you can learn. A lot of times we use the word ignorant, but it sounds so offensive. It's been used in such a, an antagonistic way. But then the fool is the one who gets the learning, who hears and receives and, and can, has heard the teaching, but doesn't really receive it or allow it to change. And so the fool continues to make dumb decisions beyond when they should have learned and changed. The wise are the ones who make those decisions or hear those learnings, and they change. And so this is the audience. And so in places of our life, there's places where we're young at it probably. There's places at least that we're simple. There's places probably where we're wise. And I promise you there's places where we're foolish. And what God is saying to all of us is to figure out where we are on the spectrum. And again, this may be, depending upon the topic, maybe this is the year you go and you get healthy because you've not been healthy and there's things that you contribute to and maybe you're just simple in that understanding. Maybe you don't understand health. Maybe you don't understand diet or exercise or whatever. And so you are pursuing that so that you can make wise choices as they relate to your health. And if we weren't foolish in places, there'd be no room for repentance. But where we are foolish is the place where we need to lay those things down to God turn to God and run from them. Back to Proverbs. It says, verse 6, by steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. By steadfast love and faithfulness. It is us relentlessly pursuing Jesus that transforms us. Again, when we sit down to the the wisdom literature, a lot of times what we see is if I change this behavior, if I do this thing, then things will change. But inevitably what you're going to be confronted with is that your heart hasn't changed yet. We always say you don't have a behavior problem, we have a belief problem. That in our hearts somehow we believe that something else is better. That we buy into the idea that something else is more fulfilling. And so we don't really have behavior problems, we have problems within our heart, within our belief. If I believe that I can eat anything I want and not gain weight or not get unhealthy or whatever, if I believe that, trust me, when not too long goes by, I'll do that. That I will go that direction. If I believe I just buy anything I want to and I don't have to budget, trust me, it'll be pretty quick before I'm broke, right? 
The idea is when we believe that these things are not good for us, it transforms how we live. That's what he's saying. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. As our heart is changed, as our mind is changed, what happens is it transforms our life. That it transforms our actions. It transforms our behaviors. We're going to spend all of February on behaviors. You're going to hear this a lot. Verse 7, it says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. You hear the outcome of just focusing on faith. Like even his enemies begin to make peace with him. And no, that's not a promise. That doesn't mean everybody will be nice to you. But again, it is true that when you live in such a way, when you are not someone who is rubbing everyone wrong, when you are living in such a way that is pleasing to Jesus, the outcome relationally is positive. Verse 8, better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. This is a place probably all of us, just as Americans, especially in Orange County, greater Long Beach, do we really believe that better is a little, meaning not a whole lot of money, with righteousness, he says, than with great revenues and injustice, than to have a lot and not be living in ways that are pleasing to God. I think it's a place where all of us can grow. Right, that we could learn it's actually better to have less and be connected to God, to be faithful to God, to be following Jesus. It's better. But we all tend to, as our culture pulls us back over to this desire to have more stuff or more things or more income. Verse 9, it says, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So how do we do this? How do we take our planning and how do we allow God to participate in all our plans. It says the heart of man's plans, the heart of a man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. How can we rely on the fact that God is sovereign, God is trustworthy, God is powerful, that God can do what God needs to do, but in our heart begin to lay our planning and get just at the feet of God, if you will. A verse that Lisa and I have always loved, it was a part of our wedding actually, is Matthew 6. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Seek God first. If you will seek God first, then everything else will fall in line. And that doesn't mean everything you currently want is going to happen because you sought God first. But what it's saying is if you seek God first, if you put God first in your life, everything else will begin to work out. And maybe the things you wanted, maybe God is going to cause your heart to want other things. Or maybe that's not what God wants for you. But it'll never work if we seek the other things first and try and fit God in after. That's what we do, though. You know how many times I sit around a table and it's either me or somebody else, and I mean leaders and, and church members and Christians, people who love Jesus, and we sit around the table. We live in Southern California, so the word busyness comes up a lot. And when we get busy, when work is hard, when life is busy, what's the first thing to go? Man, we sit around that table and we're like, man, I gotta get back to praying in the morning. I just haven't been doing it. I've been so tired. I've been working so much. I've been doing this, been doing that. Or hey, I can't, I can't commit to a community group because we have this going on or that. It seems like the first thing to go is seeking God first. It seems it creeps into our lives uniquely in a way that nothing else does. And for some reason, the thing we need most in our lives seems to get pushed out. I'm guilty of this. I'm guessing you're guilty of this. 
And at times, we allow everything else to dictate. And so where Jesus would say this, seek God first, and then everything else will fall in line. So how do we do this? How can we plan for 2018? Maybe four or five takeaways. Including God in our planning is our first step or primary step. Proverbs 16 says this, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. We just read this. That we would take and submit our plans to God. And if you are in the process of planning, rather than planning and then taking it to God, going to God first and say, okay, God, as I begin to plan, will you lead me? Will you give me your spirit, your discernment, your leadership that I would make the plans you would have me to make? And we just read this passage that the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Next slide, please. Planning is a discipline and a character issue. Proverbs 21 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. You can also see the other proverb reference. That this would be a discipline and a character trait, that the plans of the diligent would surely lead to abundance. But when we lack the character, when we lack the planning, when we are hasty, quick to do things, not planned, that only comes to poverty. Next slide, please. Seek advice before making final plans. We all know that, we all do this. What this is pushing for is seeking godly advice. It's finding those who know more about an area than you do, who love Jesus and will lead you in the right direction. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Tons of Proverbs, I picked a few, there's some other references there. But seek advice before making final plans. I'll give you an example of this. Our elders are getting together, and we uh, last year spent a lot of time on kind of mapping out how we're going to do what God has called us to do. And in the midst of church planting, we were able to plant two churches in the last 90 days, and so we sent out teams over the last 90 days, which has caused kind of a turnover in staff and leadership and people in general. And so as we've done that, we're getting back around that, and we're getting all our leaders around that and saying, okay, Let's get everybody's fingerprints on this again. Was this something that was really kind of a a piece of the puzzle that we had when we had Pastor Rick or Pastor John here? Or or is this something something we still can do? Or is there another piece, now that we've got a different team, is there something else we want to have in there? We'll get all that around there with our elders, and then we will submit that to our larger leadership before we put that in concrete, if you will, before we really make that action steps. Even though we've been working through them, we're just reviewing them and just re-going through them so that we as a church can continue to be a church-planting church, continue to remain healthy and vibrant to be sending out other leaders. We are living this out or hope to live this out the best of our ability. Trust God as sovereign over everything. Proverbs 19 says this, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Again, lots of Proverbs on this, but I wanted to give you that one. Trust that God is in control. Never be paralyzed by the fact, what if I miss something? What if I don't get it all right? You know, God's just bigger than that. God is more concerned with your heart than that every detail is correct. Is that the last one, Justine? Last one. Take time to memorize God's wisdom that you need today. Proverbs 7 says, bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. Take the time to memorize the pieces that will offset the things you need. If you're looking at finances this year, tons of Proverbs on finances, begin to memorize the ones that will speak to the needs that you have and continue to do that as you attain the wisdom that God would have for you. If it's health, if it's behaviors, whatever it might be, spend the time, write the plans, memorize the verses, let God's wisdom 
change you. Make the gospel that first and primary piece of your life and lean into it this year as we plan. I'll just ask you this question. As you map out 2018, are you allowing God to map that out for you? Are you including him in that? Are you surrendering to him in that? And if you're not, will you? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We know that you are high and exalted and seated on the throne. We know that you are the word of God that is given to us, that you love us, that you entered into human history to rescue us, that you came and you lived for us, you died for us, you rose from the grave for us, and you are seated on the throne right now for us. We eagerly anticipate that day where you reign and rule in person. And we know that while you have left us here, you have not left us alone that you have given us your spirit, that you have given us wisdom, that you have called us to participate in seeing the kingdom take root here. That you have called us to love the lost. That you have called us to live lives that give glory and honor to you. Jesus, I ask you, would you help us to do our best as we do that, as we surrender this year to you, may we plan it that this year would be a significant shift in worshiping, following, loving you, and may that pour out into our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name.